Hi, M4Edge listeners. This is Michael. A quick note before we start. If you're an M4Edge regular, you'll have noticed that our recent episodes are shorter than they used to be. That's intentional and part of our new format. This episode is closer to our original length, in part because our guest heads up two organizations and we discuss both of them. But we also went long because it was a great conversation. So this is part one, and we'll release part two of the conversation in a couple of weeks. If you want to hear the whole thing at once now, you can do so on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash at sign M4Edge212. So it's youtube.com slash at M4Edge212. Otherwise, enjoy this first half of our conversation. And as always, thanks for being curious. Hi, I'm Michael Leifman of Tenley Consulting. And I am Marco Nunziata of Anunziata and Desai Advisors. Welcome to M4Edge, the podcast about technologies that can change how our economy functions. There is arguably nothing more important to our future economy than the quality of our education system. And there is nothing more important to that than the quality and availability of teachers. But as anyone who's followed the news in the last couple of years knows, we are currently facing something of a crisis in the availability of qualified teachers. Here are some stats to put that crisis into perspective. According to EdWeek, there are over 3.1 million full-time equivalent teachers in public schools in the fall of 2022. So that's our starting place, 3.1 million FTE teachers. But the National Education Association estimates that there is a shortage of roughly 300,000 teachers in public schools. So 10% of needed teachers are missing. We should have 3.4 million. But in fact, the number of full-time, not full-time equivalent teachers is less than 3.1 million. That FTE, full-time equivalent number, includes aides and part-time teachers. So in fact, missing 300,000 may be more like missing 20% of full-time teachers. According to EdWeek, again, there are nearly 50 million students in public schools across the country. So using the teacher-to-student ratio of 50 million students and 3.4 million teachers, that works out to just under about 15 kids per teacher. So if we're missing 300,000 teachers, that works out to about 4.5 million kids without sufficient teacher-led instruction. That's a lot of numbers. So we hope we you paid attention when you were in school and you're absorbing this. We know that historically, the low pay of teachers relative to other fields that require high levels of education has meant that we should not expect an overabundance of labor in the teacher workforce. Without a major shift in education policy, there is not much that can change on the demand side that is in the school system to attract much more supply. But our guest today has come up with not one, but two initiatives, one to help increase the supply of trained teachers and the other to remove friction in the system so supply can better meet demand. She has an MBA, but also a PhD, and her dissertation was about labor supply and Teach for America. She's taught in the classroom and founded charter schools. She is the chancellor of Reach University and the CEO of Craft Education Systems, Mallory dwinnell Palish. Welcome to M4Edge. Hi there. It's so nice to be here. 
Mallory, very welcome to our show. And let's start with uh, what these two organizations are. Tell us what is REACH, what is CRAFT, and what problem is each one solving? Let's do REACH first. Sure. So REACH University is a regionally accredited nonprofit university that does exactly one thing, and that is stackable apprenticeship-based degrees in the teaching profession. So the idea there being that we start in partnership with school districts that have teacher shortages, help them identify untapped talent in their local labor market, and then create pathways for the, the jobs that already exist in those schools to become accredited apprenticeships that confer a college degree and then prepare the completers to earn their teaching credential and become a teacher in the classroom. Excellent. Do you want to tell us a little bit about craft first? We've got, we've got questions on, on both of those. And so if you want to give us the elevator pitch on craft too, and then we'll start in with some, uh, some more detailed questions. That sounds great. And so craft, I think the best is to talk about what was the big challenge we ran into when we started Reach, which was that most universities already have their hands full with all of the data reporting required for accreditation, right? With our accreditors, with our state credentialing boards for teaching, et cetera. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there are apprenticeships. Those used to be only for professions like electrician, plumber, et cetera, had their own completely separate data system and reporting requirements. And none of that, because those were professions that didn't require a college degree, is in alignment with the data requirements of degree accreditation. And so Craft rose in response to that as we call it our TurboTax for apprenticeship degree reporting. Basically, a very boring problem that shouldn't exist in the first place, which is Craft goes in and makes sure that there is data alignment, that one set of data can report to both the Department of Ed and the Department of Labor so that universities can offer these degrees. Great. Thank you for that. So back to REACH. So the REACH website lists some of the organization's beliefs. And I want to talk about a few of them, starting with the belief, the quote here is, job-embedded learning generates exceptional outcomes by integrating theory and practice and by expanding equity and access. So theory and practice, equity and access. So tell us what that means in practice. Sure, absolutely. Um, so let's start with the theory and practice and, and the quality piece, and then we'll get to equity and access. So on that first side, I think there's a misconception that the more esoteric something is, the higher quality academically it must be in higher education. Just look at economics dissertations. <laughs> Thank you very much, including my own, right? The more you can throw jargon in there, the more you can make it removed from something that the average person reading it can understand, the better it must be. And it's funny because I started my career as a teacher. My husband works as an emergency room doctor. And for both of us in our respective professions, no one wanted to hire me as a first-year teacher. No one wanted that person because I wasn't going to be very good. I wasn't going to have strong quality on my first day because it was completely removed from practice. And then my husband, going into medicine, could not legally do that. He had to complete a medical residency pathway, a four-year apprenticeship, basically, before they would let him be a practitioner, after he had four years of medical school and four years of college, because they knew that theory and practice have to be blended together for someone to become a quality provider. So the first end of this spectrum is when we talk about quality teachers, and when we talk about apprenticeship degrees, we are not talking about lowering the standard of what it takes, of the quality we want in our educators, quite the contrary. We want all of our educators to enter the workforce on day one, 
with the practitioner skill set that they need. And that means that they can't just be living in theory until they complete their degree. So that's the equality side from theory and practice being integrated. Equity and access is also a quality play, right? So we could talk about it from a workforce and labor perspective of, is it fair to people that if I don't come from a background where I can afford four years out of the workforce, if I can afford student loan debt, unless those things are true, I can't access this profession. That's an important conversation. To be honest, it is trumped for me by the argument of kids need the best educators in the classroom. I don't really care about what's fair to teaching candidates. I care about what's fair for kids. And when it comes to equity and access, the answer is the same. There is significant empirical evidence that students learn best when they are taught by people who shared their lived experiences, who share their racial identity and background. And yet, right now, where the majority of our students in the United States are non-white, coming from low-income backgrounds, where they're eligible for free and reduced lunch, that's our student body, 80% of our educators are white, women, middle class, some intersection of those three things. And so there is this when we talk about the quality of our educators, it actually is also a question of who are our educators. And because of the way we've set up these pathways, there is a massive mismatch in the demographics between our students and our teachers. So on both ends, both theory plus practice and equity and access, we believe apprenticeship degrees are a solution and that it's a solution that drives towards our bottom line, which is quality educators in every classroom. Two things here, Mallory, that make me very very excited in a good way. The first one is I actually want to reiterate something that you mentioned because I think it's extremely important. So with the example of uh, your experience and your husband's experience, the importance of education, normally when we talk about uh, the importance or the value of a degree for entering certain profession, some of the emphasis has been on the idea that perhaps for some professions, having a four-year college degree or a certain level of edu- education is not necessary. It's too much. Uh, you actually, with your personal example, made a very different point, which is that often we launch into these long paths of education, and then it's not that what you get is too much. It's not enough. It's missing the crucial ingredients that are needed to immediately enter the workplace in some fundamental areas like education and health. This is a very powerful point that I don't think it's enough well-known and enough understood. I completely agree, which obviously I'm biased, but I completely agree, which is that there are two debates going on in the world right now, and I think it's important that we disentangle them. Right, The first one is this debate of do all of the jobs that require a college degree need them? And that's a debate that is really important. It's not really the debate that we are a part of. We are looking at the sectors of the labor market, like teaching, nursing, energy and advanced manufacturing. And these are professions that require a more advanced body of knowledge than I would be comfortable having someone be a practitioner without a college degree. I do not want a nurse who has not gone to college. I do not want a teacher for my children who has not gone to college. So we are in this separate question in the labor market, which is let's take as a given that some of these professions do require a college degree. How do we make that degree accessible without compromising on quality? And that's, that is the part where we're focused. I should say that. Let's go back. Sorry, Michael. I just want to go back to the, uh, besides I love you. A chance to interrupt Michael. (laughs) But I I wanted to to go back quickly to the the second point you had made, 
the point about equity, and the point you made, Mallory, was uh, it's proven that for children, it's beneficial to have at least some teachers who have their same experience. And yet, uh, there is a, an increasing divergence between uh, the racial and income makeup of teachers on one hand and children, students on the others. Do you want to elaborate a bit on one, why that has been happening, and two, how your solutions, how Craft and Reach can address that? Sure. Yeah. So in terms of how we got here, that we're seeing this divergence in our labor market and the students they're serving, it comes down to a ton of social systems playing out the way they were going to play out. And so one, I think our socioeconomic systems, objectively, it's not a normative statement. It's not a question of if you believe it or not. It is an objective fact that we are seeing ex- increasing inequality over time in terms of wage spread in the United States. So that's the socioeconomic piece. Over 50% of our students in our K-12 system now qualify for free and reduced lunch. We have never been at that place in history before. And there are myriad economic systems that have led to that, whether it's the weakening of the social safety net, the spread of wages over time between management positions and non-management. There are a significant number of things that have led to that socioeconomic piece. On a sociological piece, we're also seeing a diversification of the United States population from a racial demographic profile. Again, we are seeing more students that are, it used to be that overwhelmingly the students in our school system were white. And now we are seeing a dramatic increase in the number of Latino students that we are serving. Uh, We are seeing an overall diversification of students of color in our system. And so those forces are taking place in society and then trickle into our Our students are becoming more diverse. And what we are seeing is that the teaching profession has not mirrored those changes. And I believe that is largely because of the fact that there is still so much latent privilege to access our college systems and to earn a college degree. I have to be able to afford college. I have to be able to afford the opportunity cost of being out of the workforce. I then have to have a professional network to go find a teaching degree or a teaching position in the exact subject level and subject area and grade level that I need. And that requires all of those things create a sieve that slowly sorts people out. And what we see on the other end is people who came from backgrounds where their family had college degrees and knew how to access the system, had financial resources and support able to support them. Those are the people who make it through the college gauntlet and become teachers. And it is not reflective of society, which is then what our student body looks like. By the way, you might have missed that cue, listeners, that Mallory said opportunity costs. And so in our early conversation, I think she used the word monopsony a couple of times. It was like, you had me at monopsony. (laughs) So we've got a very well educated economist as our as our guest here. You know, one of the things, one of the beliefs that I wasn't going to talk about, but we sort of went down this path uh, just a few minutes ago was the belief on efficiency of education. And Marco was alluding to this a little bit, I think, in that the common path for teachers in the United States is to go to a liberal arts college and then to get a degree that leads them to teaching. Either it's an education degree or a teaching degree, or they get a master's in education or in teaching, but it's this liberal arts college that's in in the middle. And um, I'm a proponent of liberal arts study, actually, though it's not the normal model in Europe and in many other parts of the world. And I mean, do you think that there's a price for efficiency, right? There's there's a price for learning only one one specific thing, and I'm wondering if you have 
thoughts on that? I know that with an apprenticeship model, um, it sort of has to be efficient because they're working at the same time. But in the broader sense, do you think that the liberal arts model is playing a, a bad role in the in the job market here? Not at all. I'm a huge proponent of liberal arts. And in fact, um, Reach University, our undergraduate division is called the Oxford Teachers College because we developed our degree in partnership with faculty at the University of Oxford around the sort of liberal arts tutorial model. And I think there is, there's a false binary that pops up of technical or liberal arts when it comes to education. And so to talk about how we do it at Reach University, people actually graduate from our institution with a degree in liberal studies and then a credential specific to their subject area. And for that to be the case, all of our students, it does not matter if you're going to become a middle school English teacher, you have to go through our math sequence. It does not matter if you're going to become a high school history teacher, you have to go through our STEM and science pathway. We think that it is very important for teachers to learn not just their content and not just the pedagogy of their content, but perhaps most important, how to think, to have a rigorous framework for how I approach a problem and how I solve that. And I remain convinced that liberal arts is far and away the best tool that we have for that. I, and liberal arts is inefficient, to be clear. But, but learning how to think is an inefficient process. It's just a question of if it's worth the return on investment. And I would argue every time that it is. And so the question for us is not technical versus liberal arts. It's let's take liberal arts and make sure that it is still threaded into the workforce. Just because your liberal arts doesn't give you the argument that it is somehow higher quality liberal arts if it is less attached to the real world where you'll be applying it after. So our argument make it liberal arts, but also give students the opportunity to practice what they're learning in this liberal arts framework every day so that they have those reps and that exposure with metacognitive processing as they enter the workforce. Okay, there are two points here, Mallory, that I would like to clarify because I think they're fascinating and important. One is the issue of how do we interpret the concept of liberal arts, right? And you seem to take, which I agree with, a broader context, which almost brings us back to the origins of education, back to ancient Greek, where liberal arts means the entirety of education and the broader approach to human knowledge. So it spans philosophy, literature, and math and physics on the other extreme. There has to be a component of, of all of it. But together, parallel to this, there is also the issue of to what extent should education be based on uh, high-level thinking and to what extent should it be channeled towards more practical skills, right? That, which is important both in terms, maybe less for teachers, because teachers have to be able to grasp the entirety of the knowledge and transmit it, but also in terms of how the teachers then teach and direct the students into different career paths. You want to talk a bit about, about that as well? Yes. So first, I think a really important foundational question to ask ourselves is, what is the purpose of education? And because if we don't know the purpose of the K-12 system, it's very hard for us to know if our teachers are executing against that purpose. And in some ways, that question is a trap. Because if I were to ask 50 different people, what's the purpose of education? I would get 51 different answers. No one really can agree on what the purpose of education is, even with themselves. And I think we saw that during the pandemic. Right? We realized during the pandemic that actually there's this huge component of education that is 
childcare, that is making sure that teenagers are safe during the day, that is mental health. And then on top of that, then there is education and academic content. And then there is civic instruction and teaching students how to be citizens. And so the fact of the matter is education is probably supposed to be some version of all of those things. And then you layer on top of that, to your point, Marco, teachers are also supposed to be career advisors that help students find their passions and enter into the right workforce. All of that suggests to me the fact that there isn't a singular purpose of what teaching is and what it is supposed to be to do it well, all supports for me the thesis that what we need are educators who have, yes, depth in their particular subject area, but also breadth in terms of their understanding of the intersection, not just between other subject areas, not just I'm the biology teacher and I understand how that relates to the physics teacher or the English teacher's work, but also who understand their positioning of as I go in and teach this student every day, implicitly, I am also a caregiver. I am also someone who is teaching them about civic obligation and engagement. That requires a breadth and a liberal arts foundation. So I think that unless we decide to forego all of the other purposes of education and say the sole purpose of education is content mastery in your specific domain, we cannot, we, we just, it would be completely incongruent to give up on the liberal foundation. This is Michael again, and maybe your commute or dog walk or the workout is over, so it's time to let you go, and you can listen to the second half of this episode in a couple of weeks. Same bat channel. I don't know about the bat time. If you're enjoying the show, please, please, please rate us and leave us a review, and pass the episode on to your friends. Thanks.